Hello, hello, my dear ones, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with My Higher Self. I missed you. Feels like it's been forever somehow, although I know it's been, I don't know, what, like a week and change? Okay, today we're going to be talking about um, a very loaded topic. It's it's a very emotionally charged topic on planet Earth. Um, it is rooted in mystery. Today we're going to be talking about ego and ego consciousness. I, don't know, I am personally pumped. I don't know about you. Hopefully, um, you know, on the other end of this episode, you are going to reemerge with a lot more clarity around the subject and hopefully with some very practical, um, you know, thoughts and very practical um, um, action points um, around, you know, best working with your ego and uh, just like a better framework around it. Um, but before we dive into ego as a conversation, uh, why don't we take care of a couple of housekeeping items? A few things that I wanted to tell you. Um, first things first, um, there is a YouTube channel now. I have a YouTube channel. Um, it is under This Is Maria. Um, yeah, so feel free to join in. Um, it's going to have the video recording of this episode as well as a lot of other content that um, I'm going to be creating Um for you guys. So a lot of um, really cool things coming uh, through the pike on that one. Um, in the continuation of this topic, another thing just wanted to let you know that I will be doing a Q&A session on YouTube in the coming weeks. So I am gathering questions right now. So if you want to drop me a question, probably the best way to do that would be to DM me on Instagram. Uh, I'm at this is Maria official on Instagram. So come find me. Uh, send me any questions you, you know, um, you have um, that are kind of, you know, maybe bigger picture things, things that you were wondering. Um, you know, I receive personal questions as well, obviously, um, you know, doing my best to get back to everybody. But the Q&A session on YouTube is going to be, you know, uh, for, for the collective, so to say, right, for, um, you know, like a broad audience. So if you've been wondering something or you've been listening to my podcast and certain things have maybe not been very clear to you, uh, feel free to drop me a note and we'll be doing that Q&A really soon. I'm personally really excited about that one as well. Um, yeah, I think that's really um, it for today in terms of housekeeping. Why don't we dive into a very charged topic of ego? Um, I think uh, partially um, uh, Freud uh, did this uh, planet a little bit of a disservice um, you know, and uh, in general psychoanalysis, uh, via very convoluted definitions of ego and then id or id, that part, you know, and, and like just trying to split human psyche. I think that created, you know, while it created a very curious scientific framework, I feel like it um, created more harm than good for your normal people trying to understand what's going on and, you know, how to better address their personal issues, problems. Um, egos, right? So today, I think I would be offering you a little bit of a different perspective, right? Today, I will be um, telling you um, and talking to you about the concept of ego from the spiritual standpoint, why it was created in the first place, what it is, why you should care. And also, of course, towards the end of it, I'm going to be taking questions from the collective because it is really important for me that you guys are on the same page and you get to, um, you know, you get a chance to ask away. All right, ego. Wow. Literally, I, uh, and we talk about a lot of controversial topics. Ego is, is a fairly negatively charged topic. 
um, you know, as, as I scan um, humanity. Um, a lot of humans go about in life trying to avoid ego, trying to avoid being egotistical, trying to deny they have an ego, um, trying to fix their ego and all of the above, which is really ironic uh, because from the position of your higher selves, um, ego is the number one thing that makes you human, right? So essentially going about and going through life, denying you have an ego is kind of like denying you have a human body and you have two arms and two feet, right? It's a little bit like that. But why don't we start from the very start in the very beginning? Because anytime we address a topic, especially this one that, that is this charged, we need to understand where, where we're coming from. What is the root cause? And why this concept was created in the first place. So I will take you to a place outside of your body, right? Um, into the realm of souls, into the realm of your higher self. The concept of ego um, and to understand what it is, we need to understand that ego, in simple terms, is a fixed identity. An ego that you have is your fixed identity. It is a temporary identity. You have as many egos as you have incarnations. Every time, and that's very important, let me repeat that one more time so that it sinks in. Every time you come and incarnate into a body, you are adorned with a whole new ego, with a whole new fixed self-concept. Because it is meant to serve a purpose and it is meant to be an aid for you as you're going through your incarnation. At soul level, just the same exact thing as your higher self level, your identity is a much more malleable concept. It is a much more fluid concept. That's why in discussing in, in, you know, the, the, the construct of ego, I think it is really important to first and foremost explore the concept of identity and to understand that there are two types of identity. There is fluid identity and then there is a fixed identity. Fluid identity is what your higher self has. What is it? And what is identity in the first place? Identity is something that you know about yourself to be true. All the attributes, all the qualities, all the quirks, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything in, you know, in between that you believe to be true about yourself or that is true about you is your identity. Now, at soul level, like I said, your identity is fluid or in other words, it's dynamic. It is ever-growing and ever-expanding. In fact, your soul is on a never-ending trip or journey towards expansion, which means that the number one most important thing for your soul is to maintain the fluidity of its identity or to maintain the fluidity of its ego, if that makes sense. What do I mean by that, right? The whole point, the whole, this whole dog and pony show of incarnating on different planets is so that your soul can gather experiences. It's so that your soul can gather new uh, facets or learn new facets about itself and expand from there, right? So arguably at any point in time, your higher self is in the process of splitting itself so that when those parts of itself go back into the whole, your identity could shift or your self-concept could change, right? 
So one of the things that your soul values above anything else is change, right? So I would quite say that despite the fact that at higher self level, there are very few attachments. The one attachment that your higher self does have is the attachment to an ever-expanding self-concept, right? In other words, it wants to be learning new things all the time. For example, and I'm just going, giving you very simplistic terms. If your higher self identified as a gardener, let's say as a profession, it is in your higher self best interest to start identifying as other things as well on top of identifying as a gardener as quickly as is humanly possible. So your higher self is going to want to project a portion of itself so that it could learn a skill of a hunter or a fisherman, right? Or a teacher, it doesn't really matter. So that next time when that aspect of itself is being reabsorbed back into the whole, your higher self can say, hey, I'm not a gardener or I'm not just a gardener. I'm a gardener and a fisherman, right? Next time it'll be, you know, expanding and um, going through incarnations to try to get some other qualifications or facets or qualities or um, personality traits, et cetera, et cetera. So your higher self is like an accumulator, if you, if you know what I mean, right? So your higher self is on a journey to try to accumulate and integrate as many different facets inside of itself as possible. In other words, for your higher self or your soul, having a fixed identity would be like death. Because that would mean, or that, that actually does mean, that it would be holding on to a particular facet of itself or a particular concept, construct of itself. And it would be holding on to it so hard that evolution, progress, and change would be quite impossible. However, once we're getting into the micro situation or ma micro universe, which is essentially the process of incarnating, the situation changes. That is where having an ego is paramount. That is where having an ego is a must and not a nice to have. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So when your higher self is planning an incarnation, obviously the stream that goes into that incarnation is a very finite stream of energy. It is also a very specific stream of energy. And it is a very deliberate stream of energy. So your higher self is very deliberate about planning which part of itself it's going to split off to go into a particular, on a particular mission. Let's say on planet Earth in this particular instance. So when your higher self plans this incarnation, it would, it's almost like splitting hairs, right? It would look at the entirety of hairs it has and it says, okay, like these three hairs are actually a perfect match to that like little mission that I'm going to be going through on planet Earth. And so it splits itself, that particular vibration, uh, it splits it, um, that particular vibration into a stream, a separate stream, and projects that into a human body. At which point, that being or that incarnation ends up having a fixed identity. A fixed identity is essentially almost like, I don't know, like almost like a space, space suit. Like if you're going into outer space and you like, you need to be wearing a space suit, right? Um, that is what fixed identity kind of like looks like from the energetic perspective. It's like you're stepping into a particular vibration. Going back to your higher self, right? And we're going to be flipping a little bit so you understand better. 
your higher self generally has a full spectrum or a full range of these identities to to play with, right? In the same way that it's almost like she or he or it, your higher self, is going to have a full closet of outfits. But for a particular incarnation, it chooses for you to wear one thing only. One thing and one thing only. Let's say it selected a gray suit for you, and that is all you're going to wear. And so it sent you downstairs here on, onto planet Earth, and it said, okay, now enjoy wearing this gray suit. But remember that you are the gray suit. Forget about the rest of the outfits that you had, because for this particular incarnation, the only thing that you need to focus in and on is the gray suit. And by the way, the gray suit is the perfect vibration to get you to where you're trying to go. So a fixed identity is actually a very necessary concept for lower dimensional worlds because your fixed identity is kind of like, you know, um, if you didn't have a, a, an, an, an ego, it would be like you would just be water without, you know, the banks and without any constraints. But um, identity is like the river that has the banks of the river. And the banks of the river really truly determine the flow of the river, if that makes sense. They determine the constraints of the river, but they also determine the potency of the river and the speed of the river and the direction of the river, right? And the banks of the river are really important because they are the container for the river. So your identity, your ego, is the container for you, which also means that your identity actually is all the things that you know that you're not and not just the things that you know that you are. For example, in this, you know, to keep going with my example of the gray suit, the gray suit knows that it is not a pink dress, that it is not a yellow hat, and that it is not the green sneakers, pair of sneakers, right? The gray suit knows that the gray suit is the gray suit. And in lower dimensional worlds, you do benefit from that level of clarity and you do benefit from that level of containment for many reasons, right? One is because per each incarnation, there are only so many things you can take care of. There are only so many things you can transcend. There are only so many things you can learn because from your higher perspective, from the perspective of your higher self, every incarnation is like a micro movie or it's like almost like a slide, you know, it's like such a short blip in time that your higher self, you know, it's little, little like a drop in the bucket in the grand scheme of existence, right? And so because you only have a drop like in the bucket in terms of uh, like time, right? Some perspective of your higher self, the life that you're living is quite short, right? There's only so many things that are possible, right? So it would never inundate you with too many things. In fact, your higher self is trying to provide you as much clarity, as much focus as it possibly can. And it is using the concept of an ego to do that. So an ego is a fixed identity, which is temporary. The reason you need it is because it enables you to travel from point A to point B faster because it limits your world and it limits your concept, right? And, you know, it's also a blessing and a curse. From the good, the good part about ego is that it really helps maintain continuity of your earth experience or your incarnated experience. Believe it or not, there was a time where souls were incarnating, but the concept of ego did not exist. Beings in third dimensional worlds were essentially egoless. They didn't have a fixed identity. 
And so what they had instead was a fluid identity. And that was one big mess. Because uh, when essentially, when you come with an identity that's not fixed, essentially you represent the entire spectrum of your higher self. And when you are the entire spectrum, it's really hard for you to focus on the things that really require work and things that really require um, attention, right? Because there's just so much within you that you're like, okay, well, I don't know what to focus on. But also because it's a lower dimensional reality, you don't have the vantage point and it's very hard for you to figure out what to focus on because you're lacking that elevation that your higher self has. So um, souls used to incarnate like that, having a very fluid identity. And empirically or through experience, what was agreed upon and what was witnessed was that it wasn't serving the evolution of souls at all. Because souls would come here, they would go through this blip of an experience, and they would not know what to focus on. Because they were identifying as fluid. You know, I'm not a man, and I'm not a woman, and I'm not an in-between, and I'm not young, and I'm not old, and I'm not kind, and I'm not, um, you know, angry, and I'm not, like, neither. Like, souls didn't identify as anything, but at the same time, they identified as everything. Do you see how, like, in a third-dimensional world, that's, like, terribly confusing? When things are not black and they're not white, but they're also not pink and they're also not red. And, and at one point you're like, so what is it, right? Because the one thing you need to know about lower dimensional worlds is, is they crave definition. They crave like things to be like strictly defined and separate from each other so they can start interacting with one another and causing all kinds of mayhem, right? But when everybody identifies as fluid about every single aspect of their existence, and yet they're in a very low dimensional world, under the veil of forgetfulness, they don't know who they are, and they don't, and they're also, by the way, they're not attached to their trauma. They're like, they have all this trauma, but they're like, I'm not my trauma, but I'm also not not my trauma. And so it, it was like a very confusing, like convoluted way, and it was completely useless, actually. So it was witnessed and decided that that was not going to work, right? And so because your higher self has the vantage point and it is essentially planning your incarnation, it was decided that it would also plan your ego. Or, you know, essentially it would really focus you in on one of the outfits or one of the particular facets that it wants you to work on and, you know, make you essentially forget about the rest of it, right? And then it started becoming a lot easier. So soul started coming into a fixed identity, such as I am a girl, not a boy. I am smart, not beautiful, for instance, or I'm beautiful, not smart. I don't know. I am black, not white, or I am white, not black. You know, all of these things. Like, it's, it's like a number of attributes that they knew to be true about themselves inherently. At the same time, they knew what they were not, right? So that world, the world of that incarnated being, was divided into the things that they were and the things that they were not. And that ego enabled a very successful experience in a third dimensional world, right? Because one thing you ha we have to remember is that third dimensional worlds are all about separation. It's all about perceiving the separateness of yourself from everything else and everything else from each other, right? So it's almost like if we had a range... And if we had the full spectrum of things, on one end, there would be unity. 
on the other end, there would be complete separation. We are here on third dimensional worlds are closer to the facet of the universe that is complete separation. And in order to maintain a very artificial system, and this is an artificial system of complete separation, you need to create that artificial separation and maintain it very, very well. And the tool that was chosen to be able to do that or to help achieve that is ego or fixed self-concept. Now, this self-concept is fixed for a very short amount of time. And, you know, once a soul goes through an experience, you essentially go back to the entirety of your higher self. You go back to the entirety of the stream of who you are. And next time, for the next incarnation, you're going to have another ego or another self-concept. Now, let's maybe start, uh, first, first, first things first, right? Let's clear the air around the fact that if you didn't have egos, you would not be A, able to incarnate in third dimensional worlds or fifth dimensional worlds. B, even if you were able to incarnate, you would not be half as successful at walking through life and learning lessons in life. So let's just give the credit where it's due. Ego is what is enabling the third dimensional experience. So is that a bad thing? I wouldn't say so, unless you believe that anything that enables a third dimensional experience is a bad thing. All right, let's take it a step further. One problem with ego though, right? And that is when we start to unwrap and unravel and peel off the layers of this concept is this. When your higher self decides what suit you're going to wear, it's almost like a frozen, fixed identity is actually frozen identity, right? That's another way of thinking about it. It's an identity frozen in time. So you're dealt a certain set of cards and it is the job, because it is the job of your ego to maintain the continuity of your earthly experience. And what I mean by that is every time you go to bed, you go to bed as a particular person and the morning that you wake up next day, you have to pick up where you left off. And that means the continuity. Otherwise, you know, you would go to bed as a redhead and you would wake up as a brunette. Do you know what I mean? Or like you would go to bed in France and you would wake up in freaking Russia, which is not how things are supposed to be, right? To maintain continuity of this experience, there were a few concepts and like a few constructs that enable us to do that. Time is one construct. Space is another construct. And ego is a third construct. All three are needed to preserve the integrity of this matrix structure. Otherwise, you would be losing track of where you are and it would be really hard to continue uh, this experience sanely and productively. But here's the problem. When your higher self gives you a particular suit to wear in a form of ego, what comes with it is not just the positive things, but it's also the negative things. And very often, by the way, you come here to fix the negative things anyhow and like face your shadow and face your limitations and all of that. So in other words, your ego is also all of the trauma that you have showed up with crystallized and frozen in time. And that is the ironic part about it. And that is why ego is so hard to even teach, explain, but also deal with in a third dimensional world. Because that is where we get to the first paradox of ego. 
because ego was created to maintain the continuity. It is equated with life, right? Having a strong ego means being alive. Having a weak ego means lack of continuity and potential death, right? If you come here as a crystallized being and your self-concept is frozen in time, what ends up happening is it's extremely hard for you to evolve, right? Because it's the job of the ego to always bring you back to that point zero of how you came or what you came with, right? But at the same time, what your higher self wants outside of continuity, it wants you to kind of maintain continuity, but it also wants you to step out of your comfort zone, expand and grow, right? And that is where the paradox of ego comes into play because on the one hand you're experiencing this crazy magnetic pull towards the need to define who you are right it's not like a nice to have to define who you are for you it's a need you pass judgments on who you are and what you are all the time and they're extremely consistent with your ego with your fixed self-concept right but at the same time if everybody, this is a very important distinction, if everybody always stuck with their ego and was going through life and experiences in a way that would preserve the ego, true evolution would never happen. Do you guys know why? Am I making sense? Because if you started with a particular set of traumatic experiences and then you went through life trying to stay consistent with your ego and your limited self-concept because otherwise things become too fluid and this world literally stops making sense, then essentially you would die with the same amount of trauma that you came here with, which means essentially you would end up in the same exact spot where you started, right? Which is not what your higher self wants. And so it, the ego was given an opportunity to evolve over time. However, in order for ego and self-concept to evolve and start emanating your higher self, you have to be faced with your own fear because the biggest impediment on your way of growth, towards growth, is your fear and fear that fear is always going to be connected to like essentially the number one fear for ego is to lose itself or to lose track of what it is right and so there's all these fear-based concepts around ego where your ego is really truly fighting for survival but, it, you know, because it needs to keep track. Remember, like from the ego perspective, the number one reason that it exists is because it always needs to constantly remind you who you are, including the good things about you, the bad things about you, and the crazy, you know, bad things about you and everything in between, right? Ego is the, the thing that keeps track because you are relying on ego to maintain that continuity of your experience so you don't wake up as a new person every day. But at the same time, right? So, and, and because of that, your ego, like, is very territorial. Your ego is like, listen, I'm not the most flexible thing out there. I'm going to let you know right now, right? But at the same time, and that's the irony of this, the flip side of this is 
you came here to learn. So you came here to get yourself to a place where you are less attached to the ego and where with every step that you take, your self-concept becomes just a touch more fluid, right? So yes, you are put here with this guardian that you really need, but the, the way to master self-concept is actually to turn it fluid while also preserving the integrity of your ego. And this is something that you are able to do from a third dimensional place is maintain both perspectives is that is the name of the game. And that is also another definition of awakening, actually, right? All the um, people who are quasi, quote unquote, unawakened or asleep are there people who are living in the constraints of ego and a fixed self-concept where they know everything about themselves, they think, right? And everything about their trauma. And very often, these are the precise people who are going to tell you, I've been like this all my life. I'm never going to change. Or I don't know. I have this trauma from my childhood. It'll, you know, and that's why I'm the way I am. And they're, by the way, also super proud about being like the complete terrible person that their childhoods made them. But there is like a, like such a sense of ownership around their, like their wounds. It's like my wound. I'm going to nurse it until I die. It's my trauma. You know, I lived through this hell, right? There's like a big sense of entitlement, but it's because your ego is paid to keep track of all of that trauma because it makes you who you are, right? And ego is always supposed to divide and and conquer and be like, this is you, this is not you. Just want to make sure we're still on the same page. Hey, I'm here to remind you, this is you, this is not you. Just here to remind you, right? So in the same, like your ego is kind of the number one thing that is in the way of your evolution, Ego is the number one thing, by the way, that is in the way of your healing also. But ego and self-concept can also be that number one thing that propels you into action and into motion. The reason ego is so hard to teach and the reason ego is so hard to explain is this. Depending on what your higher self wants you to work on, it gave you a particular outfit to wear here as an ego. Those outfits range pretty dramatically. Some identities that your higher self wants you to put on are positive identities. Other identities are negative identities. And the third type of identity is a neutral identity. And that is the core crux of the issue because not all egos are created equal and they're not created equal very much by design. Because, it again, the ego that you have in this particular incarnation is dependent on the lessons that your higher self wanted you to learn. The first thing that we need to understand in order to liberate yourselves from, you know, the fixed ego concept is no matter what you think about yourself right now, know that it is actually a fallacy. Your ego, by definition, is incorrect. Your ego, by definition, does not reflect the entirety of who you are. Your ego, by definition, does not showcase the full spectrum of your clothing and outfits and personas that you could wear. It just reflects one. 
So why don't we get it fair and square? You are not your ego. You are not fixed. As a being, you are ever growing and ever expanding. And just because you came to experience a particular facet of you this time around, doesn't mean it's a domineering side of you, doesn't mean it's a defined side of you or a definitive side of you, doesn't mean that it's the most important side of you, it is just a side of you. Neither good nor bad, not even in between, right? And so that already should start liberating you from the constraints of your ego, right? Again, I want to preface that and I want to reiterate that we are not here to transcend ego completely. Transcending ego completely is not necessary and in fact completely detrimental to a third dimensional reality. If your higher self wanted you to transcend your ego and become egoless, it would not have probably incarnated you on this planet, if you know what I mean. Because over there upstairs, it has already achieved that result. So in fact, it serves your higher self for you to have a very fixed identity. Right? Now, let's, let's dive deeper, right? Depending on the cards you got dealt, you will have a very unique relationship with your self-concept and obviously a very unique self-concept in the first place. Why don't we start looking at maybe some examples and maybe some, uh, you know, territories where you could be as it relates to your ego? Because I know that we're maybe a little bit like in, in the lofty zone here. Some of you have been dealt the cards of negative ego. What do I mean by negative ego? Negative ego is a negative self-concept. Negative self-concept comes in a few different forms and shapes and sizes. For example, not feeling enough is a negative self-concept. Feeling like a failure is a negative self-concept. Having your inner critic go haywire is a negative self-concept. Believing in your heart of hearts, and some of you are going to resonate with this, that you are a bad person is a negative self-concept. Do you know how many of you think fundamentally in your heart of hearts that you're not a good person? A lot. More than 50%. Imagine. So having a negative self-concept is actually very, very common. So in other words, negative self-concept meaning you don't think of yourself as a good person or a person that could succeed or the person that's enough or the person that's good enough and all of that good thing, you know? So you're always live, living in the world where you are lacking, right? Very often, this is a world of comparison because how do you find out you were lacking in the first place? By doing a hell of a lot of comparing yourself to others. Not for nothing, not for nothing, right? It is actually extremely common for third dimensional worlds, especially planet Earth with its fairly dense energies, to be a vibrational match to souls and beings that came here to practice a negative self-concept. The reason that negative self-concept is so hard is because it, is, it has such a pull, right? Whatever your ego is, whatever your self-concept is, it has such a magnetic pull that it's almost like there was a magnet the size of planet Earth that just pulled you in a certain direction. 
And for you to be able to escape that direction, you need to have so much momentum, so much belief in yourself. You're going to have to do so much work, right? That chances are you're never even going to get there. But that is why it is such an interesting and beautiful challenge from the perspective of your higher self, right? So for the people with a negative self-concept that don't believe they're good human beings or deserving human beings or they're enough, what is needed is removing resistance and doing a lot of parts work. So if it just happened so that you recognized yourself a little bit in what I just described, right? The number one lesson for you is parts work, is identifying parts of you. Let me rewind that because I don't think you're fully getting it. If you showed up with a negative self-concept, negative ego, that somehow in the back of your head always reminds you, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many people you help, no matter how much of a good boy or girl you are, you know, no matter how hard you work, any of that doesn't freaking matter. If you came here with a negative self-concept of I'm not enough or somehow no matter what I do, I'm like, I keep failing, like all of those good stuff. Like if, if you came with a higher inner critic, that means that you have showed up and your higher self wanted you to show up. A, remembering a lot of past trauma or just like your, your body, your self-concept showed up with a lot of trauma. Like the streaks that your higher self sent here just happen so they contain a lot of trauma and a lot of resistance, right? So you brought in a lot of resistance in your little body. And, and that means that the number one path towards evolution for you, number one path towards growth, the number one path towards happiness is facing your shadow, dealing with the aspects of you, that are shattered, broken, et cetera, et cetera. And literally reassembling yourself back piece by piece by piece, not by running away from all the things that you find subpar about yourself, but into staring straight at them. Now, of course, we know everything is a learning experience. So one pattern that you would notice in your life is that you are always faced with mirrors. People with a negative self-concept and an ego that is subpar or the ones that have a low self-esteem put that in the same in the same zone. If you have a low self-esteem, you would always be given mirrors. Why? Because the universe is trying to bring you back into equilibrium. And if you have a negative self-concept, that is not perceived as equilibrium. Because you're translating a frequency of I am lacking something. The what I am, my identity, is that I lack something. And so the universe always wants to bring you into fullness. That is what universe exists for. And it in, in its attempt to bring you into fullness, the one way that it would do that is by giving you experiences and people that mirror the fact that you're lacking something. So very often you would be faced with people, circumstances, and events that point out their, like glaringly point out all the things that you're lacking. They may put somebody right next to you, like an arch nemesis of yours, that has all the things that you wished you had. And so you could not ignore 
you know, all the things that you, th you, like, you think you need, right? It may put people in front of you that would always remind you that you're not perfect, that you're not good enough. If it's a parent, they'll give you a parent with like crazy high expectations of you that you can never meet somehow, right? Um, they, you know, they, they, they may give you jealousy. They may give, oh, and another thing. That's another thing. People with like a negative self-concept very often feel like they have to defend themselves. And that's another thing about ego, because ego, despite the fact that in, in deep in your heart, you know, you, you may know that like you're not missing some type of bar, meeting some type of bar or, you know, that you're not enough or, you know, somehow you're a bad person and all of the above. At the same time, ego needs to preserve itself as best as it can. And so these people spend their time and their life in perpetual fake it till you make it. And that fake it till you make it actually ends up being very like ends up coming across as being very territorial. So these are the people that are the most political in any organization. These are the people that are, you know, are really hard on themselves. And so it's very hard for them to take feedback. These are the people that take things very personally. You know, it's literally like it's raining, but they may take it personally, if you know what I mean. Like, oh, this world's messing with me. That's why it's raining. No, girl, it's freaking raining because it's raining, not because it's the world is messing with you. Do you know what I mean? Like they have this hypersensitive, literally like they're hypersensitive, right? The reason they're hypersensitive is because they have such a like lacking self-concept that they almost expect to be attacked by the world for the lack of this, you know, for the lack of all the things that they believe they lack. The only way to fix a negative self-concept is to come into the fullness of who you are and freaking get to a point where you recognize that you're the perfect snowflake here's a good example not a good like not an example an analogy if you have a negative self-concept imagine that a healthy self-concept is a sphere if you have a negative self-concept you're gonna have a sphere that is not a complete sphere it's almost like if it was like um a round of cheese like a little mouse came and bit off like a chunk, right? And so you're in an incomplete sphere. And that is how people with negative self-concept feel. They feel lacking because quite literally on an energetic level, there's like a chunk of their sphere of their like, you know, circular aura that is missing. And so the name of the game for these people and to go back into the balance is to fill in the gap that's missing. By the way, how these people may come across to the onlookers is they may come across actually as very strong personalities. They may come across as very territorial. They may even come across as overly confident sometimes. But the reason being is because they're so deeply insecure and a lot of them have such an imposter syndrome that they have overcommitted to faking it till they make it. That they fooled themselves and the world around them that they're cool. and Everything around them is cool, you know? It's like, have you guys seen this meme where everything is burning, like the house is burning and the person is burning and they're like, I'm fine. It's, it's kind of like that, you know, that I'm fine, whereas you're not like it's, it's that, that. But because they've been wearing the mask for so long, well, it's actually really uncomfortable to live with a negative self-concept. When your ego inside keeps telling you, no, you're actually not so great. Mm, you're lacking here. Mm, you see that person is better. It's actually a very uncomfortable place to be. Super uncomfortable. And so they had to develop a slew of coping mechanisms in order to be able 
to sustain and survive, right? So again, from the outsider looking into a person who has a negative self-concept and who is lacking, in fact, they may come across as combative, they may come across as argumentative, they may come across as overly passionate, they may come across as territorial, etc., etc., right? Because it is a defense mechanism. You know that the best defense, uh, the best way to defend yourself is to actually attack, right? So a lot of people with a negative self-concept actually attack, right? So these people, despite the fact that they're lacking, they may come across as egotistical, right? So anytime you're lacking something, anytime you're comparing yourself to another person and feel like you're coming up short, know that the diagnosis that I would give you is that you are trying energetically and inadvertently, you don't even know that, you're trying to fill in the gaps of the sphere of you, the fullness of you, that is lacking, right? And the only way to get there is actually through getting outside of the constraints first, right? Getting outside of the constraints of a fixed ego. Because a fixed ego and fixed identity also means that you're screwed. Because if you are a bad person and your ego is fixed, meaning your self-concept can never change, then you're going to, you were born a bad, bad person, quote unquote, and you're going to die a bad person. And that is not, way, not a way to live, I'll tell you. So the number one step for people who are feeling the way that I just described is to open up their mind to the possibility that their identity is actually fluid, that it is not a predicament. What you think you are is not a predicament. What you think you are is simply your starting off point. It's your jumping off point. It is just a suit that you were born into. It does not define the entirety of who you are. And the whole point is to transcend it. Right? And that is where I was saying, like, you're going to have to maintain that original identity because that is your jumping off point. But you have to bring in the fluidity because that is the truth. The truth is your identity is freaking fake. That is the truth. Right? It is temporary and it is fake. And because it is temporary and it's fake, you're not really attached to it. You shouldn't be. It does not define you. Yes, it is a construct that helps you maintain continuity. But beyond that, you're not attached to it. Right? It's kind of like, you know, like a Methodist actor or like an actor that's playing a role that forgot they're the actor and think they're the role. And by the way, they're also playing a villain. Like imagine you're always playing like the, the, the worst, I don't know, like Lord Voldemort or Sauron or whatever. Like, imagine forgetting that you are the entirety of the cast of Lord of the Rings and being stuck in your Sauron or Saruman identity. Like, imagine how uncomfortable that is. And like, by the way, in your heart of hearts, you believe you're that. And you're forgetting that you actually have a whole slew of possibilities, right? That is what negative concept is. Because the truth of the matter is, the guy who is Sauron is also the guy who is Frodo, is also the guy who is, you know, all, all, all the good things, right? In fact, it's any. And maybe in the next life or in a parallel life, they're the best kid on, on the block, on the block, right? Do you know what I mean? I hope so. I, I'm getting some collective nods, so I guess you, you're hearing something. Okay, now let's let's look at the other flip side, right? Because Ego and like self-concept, like I said, it could be negative, it could be positive, it could be neutral. Neutral self-concept 
basically never happens on planet Earth, unfortunately. What is neutral subconcept? Neutral subconcept is a perfect snowflake who believes she's a perfect or he's a perfect snowflake. That level of objectivity just doesn't happen. And also, chances are, on a third dimensional planet, I doubt your higher self gave you like a neutral self-identity. That would just almost be like defeating the purpose. So most likely, it either gave you a self-identity that's lacking, like a negative ego, or an overly positive ego. So let's look at the overly positive ego. The overly positive ego is the I am awesome person. This is sometimes your narcissist. This is sometimes somebody who gives them a ton themselves a lot of credit. This is the person that is overtly nice to themselves, right? It's almost like this is somebody that always gives themselves a pat on the back. This is always somebody, by the way, these people very often have a hard time accepting responsibility for any negative consequence in their life. So they would be like, well, you know, in, in other words, anytime something good happens in their life, they're like, oh, it's me because I'm awesome. So they're taking the full credit for all the good things. But anytime something bad happens in their life, they're like, oh, it's not me. It was actually that person that did this other thing and blah, blah, blah. And it's excuses, it's excuses on top of excuses. So it's excuses squared, right? So when you have, and that's what people call an overinflated ego also very often. Although the overinflated ego, sometimes what's called an overinflated ego is actually the person that is so broken and hurt inside from their negative self-concept that they, they feel like they're overcompensating. They have to overcompensate really hard. And so they create this artificial persona that is like really overly confident. So like, you know, what is called ego is actually from both of these camps is what I'm trying to say. So the other person, right, that has more, that gives themselves more credit than is due on an energetic level is this. Remember how we, we were talking about a sphere and the person with a negative self-concept that does not give themselves enough credit or who thinks they're like a really, really bad person or whatever. They're like lacking a part of the sphere. But the person who has an, um, like, who has the opposite problem, right? Who comes in and thinks that they're like the most amazing, the best, yada, yada, yada. Like when they're comparing themselves to other, others, they always think somehow that they end up on top. These are the people that were, they came here to be like a perfect sphere, but because they are giving themselves more credit than is due in, in some cases, they're starting to get all kinds of additions to that sphere that almost look like um, inflammations, actually, from the energetic standpoint. It's almost like there is a sphere with all of these irregularities and like um, um, parts within itself that I would almost like liken to cancer when like cells divide too much. And what, what's going to happen with these people is this. The universe is always going to like, it, remember for the other ones, the universe is always steps in and the universe is always like, this is your mirror, pay attention to the mirror so you can fix your insecurities. For the other people, the universe is, you know, the universe tried to show them the mirrors, but these people are not reacting very well to, to mirrors, right? Um, so what ends up happening is the universe is always trying to bring them back into equilibrium by removing certain things from them. So very often, if you're going through life and somehow it feels like you're losing things, and it could be you, you losing small things, 
from, I don't know, like you, you lost your toothbrush to larger things like you lost your relationship or somehow like things are not always like flowing. Like, I don't know, you're going on an airplane, you're missing the plane. Um, I don't know, you're, you're invest in a stock uh, or, or yeah, like in, in stocks, you invest your money in stocks, all of a sudden you lose, uh, you lose that. Or I don't know, like your car breaks down and th there's like a big fine or something. Like these are all the examples that the universe is taking away from you. And part of the reason is the universe is trying to cut your sphere into a perfect sphere. But right now it's like an overinflated sphere, kind of like an overinflated ego. So if you are not going to look at yourself from the standpoint of objectivity, right? Give yourself enough credit, but not too much, right? Then the universe is going to preserve the balance by taking things away from you. Very often for people who have an overinflated self-concept or an overly positive self-concept, these are the people that believe they're the saviors. These are the people that believe they're like the natural born leaders, coaches, everything, and everybody else would have been so much worse off if it wasn't for them. These are the people that believe their advice is the best. These are the people that are going to go into your, come into your life and they're going to give you advice whether you'd like it or not. You know, these type of people, you know, these are the people that are sometimes also a little bit needy uh, because they're like, well, you know, I'm this awesome person. Why are not you giving me, you know, all the attention that I deserve? These are the people that could be quite bossy. You know, there are like many facets to how, how this can play out. But if they're not going to take themselves back to equilibrium, which is the more neutral self-concept, right? Then the universe is going to keep taking away from them until they realize and change something and adjust something, right? So part of this ego game that is so hard and the winning strategy is objectivity as much as possible. The best thing you can do yourself is perceive yourself exactly as who you are not more and not less because every time you perceive yourself as less you're launching this whole learning experience where you're going to get a bunch of pretty tough situations that are all going to be mirrors pointing how you're you know uh, pointing at you and showing you all the things that you're lacking and all of the things that um, you know, all the things that you need to fix about yourself, right? Like you're going to get all these triggers, right? So you're going to be triggered all the time by someone in many, many different ways. And if you're not that and you're the opposite, then the universe is just going to keep taking things away from you until you get the point. Neither which one is perfect, right? So first things first, try to be as objective as is possible. One way to do that is through meditation and introspection and journaling, right? And talking to your guides and meeting with your higher self. Yes, your guides tend to be on the more positive side, right? But they're always going to point out to the things about you that are out of alignment with the rest of the universe, as well as with who you actually are, right? So they are going to help you get to a more objective understanding of your strengths and weaknesses, right? Because they always want you to lead with your, with your strength. And they always want you to help transcend your weaknesses, right? So getting yourself to a place where you're as objective about yourself as possible is really helpful. But also, another thing that's really helpful is understanding 
that. Your identity is fluid. That is the truth, right? It's a lot less fixed than it would meet the eye, right? And so actually, the best thing you can do is to give yourself permission to evolve and change. To give yourself permission to not have to be consistent. And that is where I see humanity going. So it used to be that identity actually for the entirety of human population was a lot more fixed. Even for instance, as it relates to careers, right? Um, in the past generation, people would stay, you know, stick to one career for the entirety of their life. It is not really the case for younger generations. Younger generations kind of jump things around, I mean, jump from one thing to another. And, you know, they, they, they do jump around quite a lot, which actually points to the fact that their identity is a lot less fixed, right? So we are making progress as a society, right? And so you would have people making complete 180s, like starting as an accountant, finishing up as a writer, or I don't know, starting as a politician, finishing up as somebody who does charity work, right? Like you're going to get like, and, and what does that mean? That means that somebody has expanded their self-concept because self-concept again is like what I am and what I'm not. And more often the concept is about what you're not than what you are, you know, it'll be, well, I'm not this and I'm not that, and I cannot do this and I cannot do that. Right? So every time you can step in to your power and be like, no, actually, I am that also, or I can be the other thing also. I don't need to put constraints on me. I don't need to put myself into a black box. My education does not define me. My age does not define me. You know, I get to define myself however I want. I get to expand that definition into as many things as I want. Very often when you ask people to describe themselves, um, you know, like, who are you? They're going to run out of things to say pretty quickly because your identity is kept artificially small. You know, like you'll maybe say five, six, seven things, you know, and, and then and then you're going to be like, okay, I'm, 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 I'm out of words, you know, like I'm, I, I don't know, like I am very often it's like some familial thing, you know, I am a daughter or I'm a son or I, you know, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a sister, you know, there's some familial relationship. You would definitely identify very often as, you know, your gender or your race, if that is important to you. Sometimes you would identify as your age. Very often you would identify as your occupation. And to be honest, that's kind of it. Like there's not really that much. And hardly, hardly, hardly ever you would also identify as your hobby, you know. And that's it. But do you see how limiting that is? Right? The good news is by expanding your self-concept, you cannot mess up the continuity. That's the good news. Because right now, the system, the way that the system has been built, it's already foolproof. In other words, you cannot expand your uh, self-concept so much that your continuity breaks. So you're in no, by no stretch of imagination, are you under the gun or under the threat of, you know, if you do too much work on your self-concept, if you expand it too much, somehow everything breaks. That is not going to happen, right? The, you, the, you know, the concept of ego has been tested time and time again, and it has become a lot more malleable over time, which is what really serves people, which is what really serves souls. So don't you worry. Another thing I will tell you is in spiritual circles, that loss of ego is, it's, it's almost like that, it, it, it's almost became like that, I know North Star in some place in, in some way. 
And I really, I really find it quite ironic because I have not really seen anybody on planet Earth like truly transcend their ego. And neither are they meant to, actually. Because all of the good things in life that you're going to do are going to stem from your ego. Just like all of the bad things in life that you're going to do are going to stem from your ego. Because 100% of your actions stems from your self-concept, right? So how can we only blame your ego for all the negative things that you do, but never praise ego for all of the positive things that you do? I'll give you a quick example of where your ego really propels you into action and is really amazing. Let's say you come here and you believe that the bigger the power, the bigger the responsibility. And that is a fundamental belief that makes you you, right? Our egos, by the way, encompass our belief system, right? And so because of that, say you come into a lot of money, whether you're self-made or whatever, it's family, that rich family that you're born into, and you have the resources. And because you believe that whoever has the resources, the money, has the responsibility to share the resources, if your ego and your self-concept has that, contains that value, then you're going to be extremely prone to giving the wealth and sharing the wealth and helping others. And that is an example of how ego is driving you into positive action. Another example. Every time somebody perceives they're good at something is because of their ego. It's because their ego is telling them, hey, you're good at this, pay attention, right? You cannot make change in the world. You cannot make the world a better place until and unless you believe that you can or that you have certain strengths or certain talents, certain good aspects, right? So let's say somebody came as a healer and they have this ego, a self-concept, fixed self-concept that tells them, you're a really good healer. You should go and heal people. And because they have that confidence inside, they go and help a million people through healing work one way or another. Is, you know, is this bad? But they were propelled by ego. I thought the ego was bad, right? So if, if you're saying ego is bad, then you have to admit that the fact that ego in this particular case inspired this person to heal a million people is also bad, right? Where I'm going with this is this. All the things that you're going to accomplish in life and not accomplish in life are due to your self-concept, are due to your ego, right? So if we're going to accept all the ways that it limits us, we also have to acknowledge all the ways that it propels us to progress, all the ways that it makes us feel empowered to do something. Because when we acknowledge our own strength, magic happens. When we acknowledge ourselves as creators, magic happens. When we give ourselves credit where the credit is due, magic happens. And I will tell you that if you are seeking to make a dent, you're way better off having an overinflated ego than an underinflated ego. Because I will tell you, people who spend their life feeling insignificant, unworthy, and not enough, 
don't ever change the world because they're so focused on their macro micro that they don't ever get into the macro. Do you know what I mean? Let me say that one more time and maybe give you like another example. Do you know how in everything in the universe is, well, they say as above, so below, right? So at any point in time, you have a choice. You can work on the macro level or you can work on the micro level. This is just another perspective that I'm going to offer you today because I think that you guys are ready for this perspective. When you come here or anywhere, really, you have a choice. Do I work on the infinity within or do I work on the infinity without? Because you can go infinitesimally small within your body and find a universe there. Or you can go infinitely big outside of yourself and also get a universe and infinity in there, right? As above, so below. Largely speaking, it doesn't matter which universe you're working on, whether that is the universe of you or the universe that's inside of you. People with a negative self-concept or a negative ego that don't think that they're enough are essentially doing the internal work, right? Because what this is telling me is they're contained within their own world. As they're contained within their own world, they first need to fix the internal, right? Which is not to say that there is, this is any way, in any way less challenging than to fix the world, right? It is just as challenging. Healing yourself may be just as challenging as healing the world, if that's your mojo, if, if that is what you came here to do, right? So people with a negative self-concept are internally focused, right? People with a positive self-concept are externally focused. They're here to work with the external universe, right? So, which is not to say, and that is another thing that makes sense to mention, which is not to say that everybody who came here with a negative self-concept, once they're done working on themselves, they're done, done with the incarnation. In fact, once you heal the inner, it would only be natural for you to want to heal the outer. Because then if you are complete and perfect and wholesome in yourself, but the world is not on the same page, then it is disbalanced. And then you're going to feel like the odd one out. And so there's going to be a natural propensity for you to want to fix the outside world, right? get to know yourself and understand, right? Let's say you're somebody who th believes they have a planetary mission, but you came here, your higher self gave you a suit with a negative self-concept of you're not enough. What this means is before you can heal the world, you have to heal yourself. And that is very true for you. For people who come here with a positive self-concept, they actually are not called to work on themselves. They're actually called to step outside of themselves and just work on the collective, if that makes sense, right? So that's another rule of thumb, if that is helpful. Okay, this is a very challenging, very charged topic. I wanted to see if the collective has any questions for me at this point in time. Anything you wanted to ask about ego, especially if you're confused, I'm here to receive the question. The question is, how do I know if I have a healthy ego? Okay, 
you see, it's really hard because what is a healthy ego? Maybe let's start there. Somehow you guys believe that there is a healthy and an unhealthy self-concept. I will tell you that self-concept is just that. It's a self-concept. A suit is a suit is a suit. It's not a healthy suit. It's not an unhealthy suit. No matter which, by the way, right? Self-concept you showed up with. It's going to have a challenge for you one way or another. Negative, positive, neutral, you're going to have your own set of challenges, right? So why don't we start accepting our self-concept that we came with as a healthy self-concept by definition? In other words, what I'm trying to tell you is you're not inherently in the wrong place. You're not inherently a bad person. Stop putting labels of unhealthy or healthy on things. Because that is black and white thinking. You are meant to have a self-concept. And whatever it is, it is enabling you to play this game. So if you have an ego, congratulations. I call it healthy to have an ego. I want you to have an ego. In fact, I want you to have an ego as large as you possibly can. And what I mean by that is as all-encompassing as you possibly can. I think the name of the game is to be able to expand your self-concept and add all of the other things that you didn't think you were as yours as well. So that by the end of your life, you can be like, I started having three things that were true about me and I finished having 30 things that are true about me. Because that is always going to be a win because that is a fluid self-concept. Because it is impossible for people, even the people that are awakened, it is impossible to lose ego. Impossible. Impossible. You should not strive for it. Because of that, there is no such thing as an unhealthy ego. I will tell you this. A lot of people consider some people selfless, right? I don't know. The people that help others, the people that put others first, they're like, oh, she's so selfless. Selfless doesn't mean doesn't have an ego. Selfish doesn't mean has a terrible ego. Selfless people have an identity where they think of themselves as somebody who helps others. So the only thing that selfless people are is consistent with their identity. That same person could have inherited another streak from their higher self that did not want to help others. And that same person would not have lifted a finger to help one single person in the entirety of their life. So there are no such thing as selfless people. There are selfish people whose self-concept tells them that they must help others. Am I making sense? I guess I'm just trying to tell you that not everything is as black as white as you think. And so, so please stop beating yourself about not having a healthy ego because there is no such thing. And awakened people are the people that still have the ego the size of the Empire State Building, if you know what I mean. But they're not as fixed within it, right? So they are allowing themselves some quirks and some inconsistencies. And they're allowing themselves to not be fit into one box. They're allowing themselves to be, you know, the black, the white, and the in-between. They're not rejecting parts of themselves as much that maybe are not so pretty. 
the, it's the awakened people, the people who are like very open to, to like uh, shifting their self-concept, that are open to shadow work, that are open to facing the aspects of themselves that are maybe not as pretty, right? So just claim the healthiness of your ego or the health of your ego as the status quo. Just take it. Just take it as a golden star and own it. Because your ego is beautiful. Not only is it making you who you are, it is the thing that is responsible for 100% of your action. And that means that your ego is responsible for 100% of your evolution, for 100% of your growth, and for 100% of your impact. And isn't that just beautiful? Isn't that just stunning? Yeah. What I'm saying is without ego, you would not be able to have an impact. How sad is that? So no, don't go about transcending your ego. Go about expanding your ego. It is through the expanding of your ego that you really get the point of this incarnation and the point of this life and the point of what you came here to do. And by the way, you're going to get so much growth out of this one life that you're going to get crazy brownie points upstairs once you come back. All right, I'm ready to receive another question from the collective. Anything you wanted to ask about ego? The question is, does it mean that if I'm losing things all the time, that it is 100% my overinflated ego? The answer is no, not, not necessarily. There are other things. Part of it could be a karmic return, right? Um, you know, sometimes you have the karma where at one point you took more maybe that was meant to be yours. Like you, you took from someone or something. It may even be in the past life, right? And now in order to bring things back to equilibrium, the universe could take things away from you. The law of attraction could also be at play here, right? If you expect bad things to happen, bad things could also happen. There are some other things that, you know, could also be the case, but don't always discount everything and don't, don't always point in, in, in the direction of the ego, um, if that makes sense. Can I just say one thing? If you, okay, uh, for those people that have like a low self-concept and that have that part of your ego missing or like the part of the fullness of who you are missing, very often the part of you that is missing is the part of you that's going to be extremely instrumental in you hitting the North Star or getting to the end destination of this incarnation. That is why you're, you know, the universe is going to hyper-focus you on all of the things that you're lacking so you could fill up that void and finally get to the point where you um, can do what you set out to do. So actually, thinking that you're less than or not good enough is actually ego. It's actually your fixed self-concept playing a trick on you. It's actually your fixed self-concept playing you small or playing it small, right? So just get present to the fact that ego is not just an overinflated sense of self-worth, but it is an underinflated sense of self-worth also if that makes sense okay um cool uh i have time for one more question from the collective anything you wanted to know about ego the question is how to transcend ego <laughs> i love it i just told you it's impossible now you're like ah can you tell me how to transcend ego again transcending ego is going to naturally happen when you die i i, I hate to say this but it's true right Transcending ego naturally happens when you guys die. 
In other words, 100% of you are going to get there. That's the good news. If you're looking to transcend ego quickly, I mean, unless you wanted to die quicker, I don't know how you could do that, to be honest. And like, what, what would be the whole point of this, right? Because having a fixed identity serves you. It focuses you. Because otherwise, you would be in a hallway with three billion doors and you would be like, I don't know what door is the correct one. Having a fixed ego enables you to know what is the correct door that you need to walk through. So in fact, we can be grateful that you have an ego because that gives you so much clarity, right? Because like your sense of self-worth, your identity, like the things that you know to be true about yourself, like they're not just randomly true. You're not randomly good at writing. You're not randomly good at public speaking. You're not randomly good at that sport. You're not randomly bad at things either, right? If you came here to be an athlete and your mother really wants you to be a violin player, you may try to, to play the violin until the cows come home and you're going to like really be bad at it. And you're going to develop this whole sense of like lack around playing the violin, but it's actually never been your door in the first place. So in fact, learn to work with your ego. Learn all the things that you could possibly learn that are true about you because those are pointers and giveaways and flags that are trying to point you in the right direction away from the wrong direction, right? No, the point of this life is not to get good at everything. The point in this life is to figure out what are the very few things you're really great at and figuring out the path that activates all of those strengths of yours naturally. Because that would most likely be the path that you're meant to walk. So how do you transcend your ego? The answer is you don't, unless you die. When you meditate, you reach that higher vantage point. So for shorter spurts in time, you may have perceptions, right? And you may shift your focus and you may shift your assemblage point into a place that is more encompassing and more inconsistency with how source energy perceives the universe or your higher self perceives the universe, which is a lot more all-encompassing and a lot less fixed, a lot more fluid. You can get there temporarily. Maintaining that, though, is not only hard in 3D, it's probably impossible, it's also not necessary, right? So you shouldn't worry too much about transcending your ego. What you should worry about is expanding your ego, expanding your self-concept, adding and allowing yourself to add more facets to yourself instead of constraining yourself within one box. Because if you just operate within that one box, no expansion happens. You leave and you die with the same set of issues and the same set of challenges and the same set of traumas that you came here with, which is the absolute opposite of progress, right? So how do you work with your self-concept? Is by facing all the things that are not in alignment about who you are, whether to the positive or to the negative, by addressing those, by doing parts work. I've certainly made episodes about parts work before, right? So that is what you should strive, strive to do, is expand your self-concept. Give your credit where it's due, right? Give you the credit in all the right places. And watch the signs. The universe is very wise. The universe is always here to give you the signs. The universe is always here to give you the helping hand. And by the way, it is your number one ally on your journey to expansion and your journey to 
making your self-concept just a little bit more fluid. Thank you so much for showing up for a very controversial, very deep, and a little bit of a heated discussion. Thank you so much for your questions. It sounds to me that we're going to have to do more episodes in the future on the concept of ego. I do hope this is going to provide some food for thought. And I just want to acknowledge you for sticking through to the very end. You are a little rock star. Let that become part of your self-concept. Let that expand your horizons. I know intellectually this is a very challenging topic, right? Some of the things that I've said maybe don't naturally and organically fit into the framework of what you're used to. Thinking, perceiving, feeling, right? This is a very different perspective from the collective energy. So I commend you for sticking through. I commend you for having an open mind. And I know that this is going to be that first step on your path to personal growth and evolution. As always, I'm sending you so much love. And I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much.